Folks, welcome back to Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. It's 5 p.m. on the East Coast, and I am fired up because the next two weeks, you're going to catch us live at 5 p.m. here on Open Exchange YouTube. And check this out, Twitter. We'll be breaking down the biggest moves of the day and what we're watching ahead of tomorrow and basically the week to come. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, and of course, open exchange because they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. And by the way, Dan, all our meetings matter, but here at five o'clock, it matters a lot. Yeah, it matters. Hey, listen, it feels like we never left Market Call, guy. We were just doing this a few hours ago, but it's fun. Hey, listen, you know what? We love doing fast money, but they are dark for the next couple of weeks because of the Olympics. And I enjoy the Olympics, but I'm still in market mode at five o'clock. So we're going to do this thing, man. We're going to talk about it. Let's get right into it. Today was a really interesting day. It really felt like the market was kind of trying to find its footing a little bit. We had a lot of volatility, single stock volatility last week, a lot of volatility in and around some economic data. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But man, look at this two-day chart of the S&P 500. What a late-day dump, guy. That's the sort of price action that you often see maybe before some big event that's coming out that people know about, but we're maybe got some kind of late jitters or so. What do you see? When you when you see action like that, when a market's trying to stabilize after a very volatile period, right? What do you make of that sort of action in the last hour of the day? Well, the, it's a new paradigm. And, and I'm going to say it is a new paradigm because, you know, we were in this world where every dip needed to be bought for literally the last decade or so. And that was the correct mantra. It's no longer the case, in my opinion. Now, I think rallies need to be sold. By the way, Liz Young talks about that as well during her work with SoFi. And I'm with her on this one. And I think that's what you saw today. Typically on days like today where you had the market rally around noon, 12, 31 o'clock, you would see a huge follow through to the upside and we'd be scratching our heads at five o'clock trying to explain what happened. Um, today makes sense to me because I think that's what's happened. The market has shifted and I think people are looking to sell rallies. And I think the late day sell-off speaks to that. A longer term chart probably says a better story as well, Dan. And we've looked at this for a while now. I mean, we are traded down below that trend line, which you drew. That's a great long-term trend line that we've broken. The 200-day moving average has been violated. We traded back up to that line of support and resistance, and we're seemingly failing. We're right at the 200-day now. This, to me, is a line of demarcation, Dan. As you say, X marks the spot. Yeah, I mean, listen, pretty interesting setup here. You know, we have been talking market calling on Fast Money for months about the concentration in a handful of names. I think it was seven names, and you know what they're all all these mega cap tech stocks have made up nearly 25% of the S&P 500. That's a, like you know half a dozen stocks making up a quarter of the weight of an index of 50 stocks. And we know it was much more pronounced in the NASDAQ 100 here. And you know, what was interesting about the earnings last week in particular was that the big ones, Microsoft and Apple and Alphabet were thought to have saved that market. But then we got, you know, we were in a free fall for all intents and purposes when you think about it. And then we got some disappointing news out of Facebook. You know, the thing that stuck out to me, Guy, today, other than the late day dump, before the late day dump, was the price action in two names, okay? And they're going to be very contrary to each other. And they both had massive gaps on earnings over the last week or so. The first one is Alphabet. We just talked about that. That quarter was great. And the guidance was great. And it really kind of bucked, I think, a lot of sentiment in the space at the time here. And look at that gap that it had. It gapped up to a new all-time high last week. And you know, a lot of people were like, put that together with Microsoft. 
Microsoft and Apple from the week before, and that's it. We're done. Those big names hold in. Well, look at the fact that it's filled in that entire gap. What does that say to you about people who are initially very excited about the Google uh, quartering guidance, but a few days later, it looks like a different story? They should have been excited about it because it's a remarkable quarter. And quite frankly, when they reported on the show, I said, you know, this is the quarter that should take this stock to a new trading range north of 3,200. By the way, I think there's some street uh, calls out there for north of 3,500 or so. And that made sense in terms of the release. But the fact, to your point, that we traded up to the prior highs we saw in basically November and early December and seemingly failed is no bueno, as they say. Now that 200-day moving average, which probably comes in around 2,700 or thereabouts, is right in the crosshairs. We violated it once. We traded through it went back to a prior all-time high, seemingly failed, and now here we are. I think this is a huge chart to watch. You know, sometimes good news, bad price action, that's what you're seeing now. That sort of tells the tale for a change in direction, and I think that's what we're on the precipice of now. Yeah, it really could be. I mean, that's not a great sign. That's not what you wanted to see here by any means. And I'll just say this, for a lot of people who look at Alphabet and say, wow, it's a really cheap stock. You know, their sales are expected to grow 18% this year. That's after a 40%, uh, 42% growth in 2021, trading about 24 times, you know, with low single digits expected earnings growth. It's really not that cheap in an environment, guy, where tech is being repriced and we're seeing interest rates go higher. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. The other one that really caught my eye on the flip side of this was Facebook. That one day gap last week of 27% was astounding. I think it was one of the biggest one day declines uh, ever in a stock, nearly $200 billion in market cap. But here's the thing, that stock closed down 5% today. I mean, just kind of shocking when you think about it and that charge just broken. Is there a big gap to be filled? Yes, at some point, not anytime soon. And if you look at a five year chart of this Facebook and you see, draw a line from that gap in 2018, that was the last time they had a major, major fundamental hit up with a guy down here that stock went down for months and months obviously if you look at the high it made right before the pandemic that was a uh, something out of their control but you see that support where it comes in i'm just curious your take on the facebook action three days after that massive gap look i thought we were going to stop obviously right at those lows if you go back to december october of 2021 that's where i thought we would stop well we get right through that didn't even really stop you didn't even have a speed bump there what i'll tell you and you were right to bring this up we saw the same action basically in june of 2000 i want to say 18 or so into literally christmas eve when the stock which was making an all-time high of 225 traded down about 105 on christmas eve and then the subsequent bounce this is the exact same thing in terms of time duration and to a certain extent in terms of percentage move but here we are you drew the green line dan prior resistance becomes support in the form of exactly that this 225 level a close through there and i don't know what to tell you then you're probably talking about a stock that's going to trade sub 200 and a lot of people then be saying what's wrong with facebook and oh by the way what's wrong with the broader market the quarter was a disaster and by the way on a nasdaq tape that it traded really well facebook topped out i want to say dan and you know this in late early september of last year and has been trading poorly ever since yeah, when you say what it does it mean for the broad market, I think the thing that you're gonna have to watch now with Alphabet filling in that gap, how does Microsoft sitting right on 300 bucks here, how does that trade in a choppy market over the next couple of weeks? And the other one 
is Apple. You know, Apple had what I think by all accounts was a very good quarter and good guidance. I mean, even though it wasn't, you know, stellar guidance, that sort of thing, we're still in a very uncertain, you know, supply chain environment, an uncertain consumer spending environment. And that Apple went exactly where you thought it would be to the, uh, the high 150s, the prior breakout level. It's sitting about 10% above that. So Microsoft and Apple keep a close eye on Guy Dami, but you know, you got to get bored talking about tech. We do that an awful lot here. You're kind of into some more old school sort of things that catch your eye on days like today. Yeah, and a lot of people now starting to talk about it for good reason, by the way. But the first thing I've been watching, obviously, has been crude oil, which, you know, you called this one, Dan. I want to say late summer into the fall. You said, you know what, you don't really trust it. And that proved to be correct because you saw a pretty precipitous drop from about 85 down to 61 post-Thanksgiving. And that move, you're talking about probably a 30, 35% move. Well, we're back on the horse now and clearly through. The move to the downside in the fall was for two reasons. One, the Omicron virus, virus, which was announced the day after Thanksgiving when we all heard about it in earnest, and that subsequent or right around the same time SPR release, those were the two things that knocked it down. Well, the SPR release was short-sighted in my opinion, and we seem to be through Omicron, and we'll talk about some of the reasons why in a second in terms of some of these travel stocks, and here we are. The fundamental story for crude is still intact, and I think it's going to trade triple digits. I thought it would happen by the end of last year. It didn't, but it's pretty close now, Dan, Nathan, in terms of the crude oil. Now we'll talk about XLE in a second, but I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Well, listen, you had a heck of a call on this thing. I mean, your call has really been for, you know, a more longer term time horizon of what the supply demand dynamics look like in a kind of, you know, a, an environment that are kind of more easy to track. And I think you said Delta and Omicron. These were things that were really hard to kind of figure out. In both instances, right before that, I think a lot of people were like, all systems go here on the reopening. And we're seeing China slow down a little bit. That could be, you know, one of the things I'll just tell you. We know that China has been easing a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. You know, Carter Braxton Worth, he was on with us on Market Call earlier today. He had a chart showing kind of getting pretty extended here, calling for a bit of a pullback. I'll just say this. If you look at those peak to trough declines over the last year, the declines have been getting bigger and bigger, guy. And here we are now. We're just kind of on this runaway breakout here. Um, listen, things that go to 90 usually go to 100. You kind of, you know, you've seen that enough in the markets. That's not particularly scientific, but there's something in the equities that track crude, the large integrated and the oil services that are, I think, giving you more confidence about that $100 call. Well, it's the XLE. And, you know, the XLE is basically 45% comprised of ExxonMobil and Chevron. And then kind of throw ConocoPhillips in there or vice versa with Conoco and Chevron. It doesn't matter. Those three names are 50% of the XLE effectively. And you see the move we've had. I mean, it's been a pretty stunning move. Now, we are up against pretty significant resistance. I agree, that line you drew is exactly right. That's where we broke down from in the beginning of two, late 2018, beginning of 19. I still think it has some, no pun intended, gas in the tank. And I think we're gonna take out 80 because I do believe uh, that people are probably still not believing in the underlying equities. The commodity clearly is in play. I think people come to the realization, wait a second, maybe vis-a-vis -vis the broader market and the commodity, some of these underlying equities are just not, they're not, they're just too cheap at these levels. And I agree. I've talked about Schlumberger and Halliburton on valuation seemingly for the last year. And now that's playing out. And you can say the same thing with these big cap integrated names, specifically the three that I mentioned. 
Yeah, you know, listen, I guess I trust uh, throughout my career, Chevron and Exxon delivering a little less than others. But, you know, you just mentioned, you know, Schlumberger and Hal. Look at that OIH, that chart of the oil services ETF. And you've been all over that one. I mean, that one, though, if you look at it on a long-term basis, looks very different than the XLE. I mean, the XLE has made back some serious ground over the last few years, where the OIH really has not, right? And I know that you, you know, you suspect that there's probably some good beta in that sector which is why you probably like that. I know that Halliburton has been a name that you came into this year. I think it was one of your top picks or so. Um, but it also is kind of banging around at levels that it's found technical resistance at over the last, you know, kind of, you know, year or so. Yeah, and tomorrow we'll bring up an OIH chart, but that's basically comprised of three names, Halliburton, Schlumberger, and Baker Hughes. But to your point, they're finally starting to catch up, but there's a lot of room left in terms of the OIH is where we've been historically and where we are now. You know, I would submit there's still significant room to the upside. I would say anywhere from 18 to 25 percent, Dan. But I know there's some things this week that you're watching that I'm watching as well. First of all, guy, you're just a real pro. I was talking to a chart that didn't exist. And you know how seamlessly you just said, you know what, we're going to bring that with us tomorrow. So we're going to take a look at that was a little preview of what we're going to do tomorrow in the OIH when we're back here for market call. All right, let's hit some of these things because really what's going on this week is a little extension of what we saw last week. We have some big earnings. I mean, like you thought you were through them. I think we're at least 50% through the S&P 500 earnings. And then we also have that CPI data on Thursday, which will kind of be like a main event, especially when you consider the market um, reaction to that really hot jobs number from January. But let's hit some of these earnings first because I think it's kind of interesting. Like when I looked at my board today, I saw saw a lot of these travel-related names just absolutely screaming, and you know what they are. They're the airlines, the jets, and, and you know the, the cruise lines and that sort of thing. But a name that you've been kind of following pretty closely over the last, I, I think it made it into one of your acronyms. Isn't that what you call it, an acronym is that um, for the, Fast is Money? The, is that 20? the thing where you put letters together and spell word? If that is an acronym, then yes, the E in the hope trade was Expedia, Dan Nathan. You're spot on. Right. Well, they report later this week. And I think that's going to be really interesting because this is a stock, you know, on Thursday reports that is trading very near all time highs. And we know that this is what Tom Lee, our friend over at Fundstrat, was calling one of the epicenter stocks, the hardest hit stocks from this pandemic here. What's your take on this one? Because it's forming a nice little pennant formation or a flag formation, I think you would call it. And, you know, with that event, coming up, if they're able to guide ahead, and listen, I don't think anyone's looking at this current quarter, and I don't think a stock like this is gonna be penalized for what they just announced. If they're able to look forward and say, we see trends coming back online, you see this thing breaking out? Yes, I do, and I think that's exactly what they're gonna say. I obviously don't know, but the start, listen, the way the stock has traded over the last couple months suggests exactly that. This stock is looking past the variance and saying, you know what, we probably, in terms of just the virus. We probably have clear sailing uh, from back basically the second half of this year on. And I happen to agree with that. By the way, you saw some of the mass mandates being taken off. So you could start to see what people are looking at. You also saw Spirit Airlines today, that announcement with, I think it was Frontier. That to me speaks to an industry that, you know what, is starting to get geared up for what they think is ahead. So I absolutely think this is a stock that's going to break out to the upside. As you said, they report on Thursday, one of the names that a lot of people aren't talking about. But this is telling the story to me of not necessarily the recovery, but this recovery in names of people getting out there and traveling again, specifically the airlines and obviously all the ancillary plays. 
Yeah, well, that would certainly help your $100 a barrel crude call if that goes smoother than over the last year or so. Um, so no more hiccups. Let's, I mean, for all of us, let's kind of pray for no more variants and move beyond this thing in 2022. The other name that's been on your radar, Guy, is I think it's, uh, it's, it's the D in your Dawn trade. That's your other acronym, which was Disney. And, you know, you got into this one at the right time here. I think you had that gap from the last quarter. Disappointing Disney plus subs. I'll let you speak to that. I know you're very focused on that and this new boba fett one and the and the it's just a dud guy i'm just telling you it's not gonna it's not gonna be on your watch list just so you know but we have this two-year chart and it's pretty fascinating with a stock just around 140 guy it is literally at the dead midpoint of the two-year range talk to me about disney is the worst news out of it we know we have those earnings wednesday after the close are going to be important Give it to me. Look, I think last year when the stock was trading, obviously it's tad north of 200. I think it really got ahead of itself in terms of valuation. And we talked about that. You know, we, we have different guys that come on all the time and talk about the lost leader that Disney Plus is. And I agree with that. And I also think they sort of threw in the towel with that last earnings release. But I think to me right now, all the bad news is in the name. And I actually can make a compelling case at $145 for Disney on valuation. I think people have flocked out of it for a number of reasons, not least of which those Disney Plus numbers last quarter and obviously what's been going on with the virus. But I think that I think that's in the rearview mirror now. So if Disney Plus is just okay, which is all it needs to be, I think they're going to talk about the second half of this year being gangbusters for Disney and all the ancillary products that they have. So yes, Disney is the D in my dawn trade, Dan. All right, but Guy, I got to ask you this, okay? And you know what? Listen, if we are really in a new regime, as you uh, mentioned, and if we are really, I mean, on the precipice of something bigger, and, you know, one of the things, and we'll talk more about this this week, you know, when we talked about the gaps in some of these stocks, I, I really think what went on was Snapchat up 60% one day on Friday and Amazon up 13%, close to $200 billion in market cap, and that Netflix gap and the PayPal gap the prior week. I, I really think something's going on here. And I'll just say this. One of the reasons I'd say be very careful into this Disney quarter, when you go back and you look at private market tops, you know, back in 07 and 08 and back in the dot com, it was some of those prior market leaders that had consecutive disappointments. And so I don't see anything, at least if you're focused on Disney Plus out of that Netflix guide, that would lead me to be too bullish about what they're going to have to say going forward. So you know, you and I talk about it all the time. You know, you can actually start dipping your toe into a position without having a position you know I, I just don't know if buying this stock if you're not in it and you have that mindset before the report makes a whole heck of a lot of sense because maybe it's up five eight nine percent or something like that you're only going to have a small position right um but if they disappoint the stock's going to like 130. yeah 125 probably to be honest with you which was a prior all-time high way back when you're, you're right and if they do disappoint two quarters in a row i, I don't think the market's going to take any prisoners here but to your point about Netflix, I think a lot of that now has manifested itself in that little flush in Disney. You sort of think about 133 or so over the last couple of weeks. So I happen to think it's in the stock. You think there's some more room potentially. That's what makes markets, and that's why we do these things. But I, just looking at this chart, it's done a lot of work on the downside. I think the setup is okay in earnings this week.
All right. Well, listen, let's talk about um, a big number. We flagged it just a little bit ago that's coming out here. It's the CPI. It's that inflation print for January that's coming out Thursday before the opening. I just really quickly want to get your take on that jobs data. It really surprised a lot of people for January. It came in really, really hot. They revised December up. It basically made the Fed at least look good for the moment of why they are being aggressive as far as their tightening um, you know, poise here. Um, just curious on the job and what you think it might mean for the CPI and how uh, the, the rate market might take. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, the jobs number surprised a lot of people. If you watch some of the cable news shows last week into that jobs number, some of them were outright giddy talking about the potential for a negative jobs number. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. And just in terms of the numbers, forget about politics. I mean, you're talking about some record numbers over the last couple of releases, which augurs well, I guess, going forward. It also means the Fed's way behind. And I think the move from 182 in the 10-year, basically in a straight line to 191, speaks to exactly that. And we're looking at a Disney chart, but we should take a look at 10-year yields because this, to me, tells the story, Dan. Now, it's been volatile. Uh, you had a great call in, from the spring into the summer. You thought yields would go back down to about 115. I think that got to a 111 or so. And it's been a little uh, up and down the way back to 2%. I think we're getting to 2%, and it could happen on the back of a CPI number that I think is going to come in north of 7.3%. That's the whisper number that I'm hearing. Yeah, well, I'll just say this. I mean, like, if you take out 10-year U.S. Treasury yield on that chart, and you and I have been talking about this a little bit, you know, it's held that uptrend. It just got above that prior high from, you know, last year or so, and it looks like a really good-looking flag formation breaking out. But when you zoom out a little bit, Guy, and I want to get your kind of take on this on a five-year chart, you know, 2% was a big level when it broke down um, back in early 2020 here. Here we are getting back up there, and you think we've gone all the way in the 10-year from what will likely be the generational low, right, below 50 basis points to near 2%. What is it going to take to get that yield ripping higher? And if we had a 20-year chart of the U.S. Uh, Treasury, it's upper left, bottom right. You maybe get to about 3% or so before you get that long-term trend line. But the last time the 10-year was at 3%, it was in late 2018, and the stock market went down 20% in a straight line and we know what the fed had to do no question about it and i think you've pointed out that yeah rates can continue to go higher but as you just said we're in a very long-term downtrend in terms of yields and that's exactly right so even if we were to get up to two even two and a quarter that downtrend would be intact what does it say at two percent well it really depends on what the two years going to do not to get too wonky here i'm not looking to make people's eyes glaze over but that two ten years yield spread right now is about 61 basis points or so. Now, I've said for a while that I thought twos, tens would go to about 30 basis points, and I thought it would be in the way of one and a half in the two-year, 1.8 in the 10-year. And you know what? I'll actually sort of stand by that because I could find a scenario here, Dan, where we do get up to 2%, market sells off, flight to quality in the form of 10-year yields with two-year yields rising. So to me, this is important, but in the context of a two 10-year spread, that's really what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, listen, I think at some point in 2022, and you've made this point, Guy, I think investors are going to get comfortable with higher yields. I and mean, we knew they couldn't stay at zero for a long time. So if the Fed 
didn't, if they weren't too late and they're not hiking into a recession and the rest of the globe comes back online, that sort of thing, I mean, then they will have been doing the right thing because we could have had crazy inflation the world over, you know, trade wars. You know, I mean, literally could have been a big mess. So let's see. Let's hope the stock market can deal with it here. I don't think we're done um, just yet. But, guy, when you think about rising inflation and you think of macro assets going haywire, there's one shiny metal that is near and dear to your heart, big guy. Come on, you got to give it to me. You sucked me into gold a couple of weeks ago. You and Danny Moses on our podcast on the tape here. And I'm looking at this thing and Carter was talking about it earlier on Market Call. Something's got to give here, buddy. What's going on? In Great the movie with Jack Nicholson. Something's got to give. I'm a huge Jack fan, as you know, by the way. Look, what do you, what are you, what do I think is going to happen on the back of this? I think this pennant's going to break and I think it's going to break to the upside. Now, if you don't have an idea, if you're on the fence on this one, that's fine. Let the chart be your guide. But if you're asking me, I think it's going to basically reconcile itself to the upside move that we last saw, I think, in the summer of 2020. And I actually think we're going to blow through that. The environment is ripe for gold to do well. Now, the obvious question is, well, yeah, it's been that way for quite some time, especially we're going to look at Bitcoin in a second. Bitcoin getting cut in half, one would have thought that gold would have rallied significantly on the back of that. It didn't happen. But to me, it's a bit of a, and I hate to say this term, bit of a coiled spring. I think it's going to sort of, again, it's going to resolve itself with the break of this pennant to the upside, Dan. I'm sure you have other thoughts. And again, that's what makes markets. Well, I'll just say that. No, I don't. You know, in some ways, you know, I was looking a couple of weeks ago for like some cheap vol in the options market to play some kind of, you know, volatility as, as far as risk assets are concerned. And option prices, option premiums in the GLD are really cheap. They're generally pretty cheap. But you look at that lack of volatility in this tightening range. And if you say to yourself, if you do have a strong directional view, if you think up playing with calls or call spreads is one way to do it. Um, and that's that's the way I kind of have been focused on this little bit but you mentioned bitcoin before well, guys and before we get to yeah. i'm sorry dan i don't mean to cut you off but you know we don't have this chart we'll show it tomorrow but you know on a day when the market's sort of nowhere in terms of the broader market newmont mining on a day where gold didn't do all that hell of a lot was up four percent today just something to watch sometimes those yeah. equities in the form of the miners can lead the commodity i think that's what you might be seeing at least today so have that on your radar screen as well no, that's a great point. Let's look at some of those tomorrow. We should also look at the GDX, which is the um, the miners DTF too, which uh, trades at a nice little beta to that of gold. Let's look at Bitcoin really quickly. And you know, part of the narrative for Bitcoin was that it's basically digital gold. And for a while, when gold wasn't going anywhere, and you you mentioned those highs in 2020, you know, it's kind of interesting. That was the summer of 2020, and gold got creamed from those highs. And you know what started rallying a whole heck of a lot. Bitcoin did, which was really interesting. And my view at the time was like, all right, if you're my generation or below, uh, notice how I left you out there, big guy, um, you might be inclined if you're looking for like some sort of inflation hedge. And at the time, interestingly, inflation expectations were not really high, guy, despite monetary and fiscal policy coming out the yin yang, you know, all over the place. But that's why gold originally moved higher for fear of that. And then it got creamed. And then Bitcoin took off and had this epic, epic move from like 10,000 to like 60,000. And to me, that seemed like a pretty convenient narrative. Well, it's been pretty volatile. It's a 250% plus peak to trough declines in just the last year. Look how sharp this one was. 
I really thought maybe we'd see 30,000 in a test of the last summer's lows, but look over the weekend and ended today, just had this sharp rip of that downtrend. Let's see if you can get through that 50 day moving average. I wouldn't be a buyer um, if it can't get below that, or excuse me, it can't get above that. You might see a retest of those recent lows. Well, in the words of Roger Daltrey, people try to put us down. You're making fun, of course, my generation, Dan, but I'll say this exactly that. You know, if you had said to me, Bitcoin's going to get more than cut in half. From 67,000 down to 33,000 is where we bottomed out. What would happen to gold? I said gold would be north of $2,000 easy and maybe approaching 2,500. It didn't happen. All right. I thought it would get down to 31,000, the lows we saw over the summer. It didn't happen. We're back up almost to the 200 day moving average. But if you see, for you technicians out there, that 200 day moving average is starting to slope lower, which suggests to me a tr change in trend. So, what I think is going to happen here, Dan, is we're going to go up touch it, fail, and take a run at the 30,000 level that we last saw basically in the summer of 2020. 2021, excuse you know, it's, me. It's funny, you know, we spent some time talking about the levels and you and I don't know jack about the, the kind of fundamentals of Bitcoin. Our friend BK, Brian Kelly is the guy there. But you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that you know that there's futures that trade on Bitcoin. There's a lot of over-the-counter products that trade on Bitcoin, uh, also in the derivatives market. So a lot of those strikes, a lot of those levels, the stops and such are informed by the technical. So, you know, to us, that seems like a good way to look at it. So there's there's my take on Bitcoin there. No, I think it's fair. I, listen, I, I'm not going to speak to the fundamentals. I can't, but we know we'd like to sort of chart things. And Bitcoin actually charts pretty well. I mean, if you're a trader and just looked at that and didn't know what it was, you'd say, this is a really interesting commodity or security or stock and it does trade well and it's volatile, which as you say all the time, is not a floor, it's a characteristic, we'll see. But it's gonna be interesting to see what does knock it down. You know, it's fascinating to me that now Bitcoin's in this paradigm where the Fed's trying to be responsible, which really is the first time in the seven or eight years that Bitcoin has really been viable that we've seen that. I think one of the reasons Bitcoin rose to the level it is, is because of the fear of central banks running amok now you have central banks, at least in the short term, Dan Nathan, trying to get their act together. Quick thoughts on that. Yeah, matter of fact. And then obviously there's that kind of regulatory overhang. You know, Gary Gens with the SEC is supposedly somebody who is like kind of friendly to the Bitcoin community, seemed a bit hostile in this first year in the job. We will see, big guy. Yeah, we will see. And you know what, Dan? We're going to see you tomorrow. Hope you folks have enjoyed the 5 p.m. version of Market Call. Thanks to our sponsors, FactSet and open exchange. If you like what you saw, and we hope you do, tune in again tomorrow at five. We'll be here all week, as they say. Try the veal best in the city. And by the <laughs> way, Dan, check out Market Call Macro tomorrow morning at 11 a.m., big guy. I'll see you then. All right, see you then, guy.